I guess I must have beat the scripture reader up here. Was someone was supposed to read that? Tell you what, how about if I read that? Turn to John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. Jesus there said, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Uh, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My, fir- my father will honor the one who serves me. I've never done that before. I'm a little nervous. Goodness. Okay, you threw me there. We are on Sunday mornings in a series called Growing with God. And as we talk about that, uh, I'm thinking about... <clears throat> What we did last night, Christy and I were sitting on the couch, kids had gone to bed, we turned on the television, and we're watching the Winter Olympics. This, there happened to be, uh, at that moment that we were watch, or turned the TV on, the uh, couples ice skating, the figure skating. And it was just amazing to see. And it is uh, amazing to imagine what they have had to do as athletes to get on to this stage, to the world stage, and to showcase their talent for not just their nation to see and be proud of, but for all nations all over the world to see and rejoice. And you're watching them, and they're skating forwards and backwards. They're with each other, and they're doing the twirls, and they're doing this all in coordination with the music. And, and occasionally, the, the male skater will toss that female skater just up in the air, and like a rag doll, she spins three or four times, and comes down precariously and catches her just perfectly as they spin around together. It's amazing. I am easily amazed. My wife... At the other end of the couch was sitting there, occasionally looking up, and there was this one couple that was skating. And as they were skating, uh, they made a mistake, and the girl fell. And Christy goes, mm, mm, oh, terrible. <laughs> now, her standard admittedly is much higher than mine. If I were a judge in the Olympics, like if you made it through that routine without falling and getting a concussion, I would call that a 10, and that's pretty good. What they do, the level that they do it is something that we can sit on our couches, you know, eating Cheetos and judging them. We understand, of course, that Olympic athletes, it's not just about the moment in the two, three, four minutes that we watch them perform live on television. But we understand the story that goes behind the moment, all the things that they've had to give up to get there. I was uh, in one part of it yesterday. I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was the ski jump or what it was, but there was one event. And there was a 16-year-old athlete. And of course, as a parent, that just makes you feel terrible. You know, Tyler, you've got four years to get Olympic-grade quality, okay? <laughs> but you understand, as a parent, what they had to give up, what their children had to give up, what they had to say no to again and again and again so that someday they could say yes and get on the Olympic stage. 
what they had to go through and the reason they had to say no again and again and again and again because they all we all start out in the same way. I mean, maybe at different ages, but the very first time you ever put on ice skates and stepped onto an ice skating rink, we all had a similar experience. And some of us said, I'm never doing this again, you know. But some of them, those Olympic athletes, pushed through the difficulty, pushed through the toughness, pushed through the falling, pushed through the mistakes. And they did that again and again and again and again with excellent coaching and training and time. They got to a level of excellence. Now, turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, is an interesting verse to me because not so much of what it says, but because of who wrote it. In Second Peter 3:18, at the very end of his letter, Peter writes these words, "But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever." To the day of eternity, amen. To continue to grow, well, if we could, from a spiritual perspective, go to the Olympic stage, we might view Peter in this moment and all the amazing things he's done, the sermons he's preached, the mission, works he, mission work he's done, the churches he's encouraging, the leadership role he now has in the church. But yet we know, just like that Olympic athlete, there's a story behind the moment. We see Peter, who was a common, ordinary, uneducated fisherman with a little bit of a swearing problem, who was called to leave his nets and follow Jesus. And he made mistakes, and he, and he said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth so many times, someone once said he had athlete's foot growing on his tonsils. But Jesus would use Peter for all of his passion and excitement and willingness to speak up and stand up. And it would, Peter would be the one who would say, when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter would speak up and say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Would Peter make mistakes? Yes, he would. Infamously, three times he would deny his savior. And some people might not overcome that. For some people, that's being up here, being twirled about and drop and fall and wondering if they're going to get up. But he got up and Jesus asked him, do you love me? Then feed my sheep and feed his sheep he did. As he preached one of the most powerful, cool gospel sermons, the very first one. And he says to the crowd of Jewish people in the crowd, he says, this man whom you crucified God has made both Lord and Christ. And the response was immediate. The crowd in verse 37, the men cried out to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Peter had a cool moment, but he had a story behind that moment. See, Peter had to grow. He had to learn from his mistakes. He had to get up every time he fell. And he had to continue to believe that Christ could and would use him. That's what we're going to talk about in this series. Growing with God means you have to be willing to trust him. 
means you have to be willing to get up when you fall and to be committed to growing no matter what. If you want to grow with God, uh, you have to do something that seems paradoxical. Uh, that's the word of the day, by the way, is paradox. Uh, what is paradox? Well, it's not these things. Um, that's, it's not a pair of ducks. Sorry, that didn't go over like Mark thought it would. He thought that would be over. <laughs> what is a paradox? A paradox is a, a cool $2 word, which essentially means this. A seemingly absurd statement that upon closer investigation, investigation proves to be totally true. Now, if you think about the definition. Let me just give you some examples of how Christianity is full of paradoxes. And you can probably complete these verses for me. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus said, the last will be what? The last will be. Okay. Now that's a paradox. It seems to be an absurd statement. How can the last be the first? Uh, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the. The greatest among you will be the servant. That's what I heard you say. The greatest among you will be the servant, the least of all. It seems untrue. It seems absurd. It doesn't logically make sense. But upon closer investigation, you figure out that what Jesus said is actually very, very true. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, the Apostle Paul said that the weak... When you are weak, then you are. Okay. Now that seems not to make sense. That seems to be illogical, irrational. It doesn't jive with our thinking. But upon closer inspection, when you learn that when you're weak, you understand the Lord has the greatest opportunity to work. And that is where true strength comes from. In Acts 20, verse 35, Jesus said, It's more blessed to give than to Receive. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't jive up on a checkbook, on a ledger, on an accounting book. It doesn't seem to make sense that you could give 10% and do better with the remaining 90% and God than with 100% on your own. It doesn't jive. It doesn't make sense. It seems illogical and irrational. It's a paradox. Well, this morning we're going to talk about one final paradox, and that's found in Matthew chapter 16. Verses 24 through 26. Now, it's on page 973 in the Pew Bible. Someone told me this past week that, unfortunately, we have way more songbooks than we do Pew Bibles. So, uh, you may have to fight over with someone for a Pew Bible. I think that's okay. I don't know. Or just grab songbook and go to song 973. I don't, <laughs> whichever. But, in this verse, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Let me say it again. For whoever would save his life will lose it. It's a paradox. You see, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to jive. It's irrational, illogical. It doesn't make common sense. Forever, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? 
You see, to grow with God, you must learn to give yourself up. Several years ago, I had a friend of mine who was in youth ministry. We were doing youth ministry together. We were having lunch, and we were sharing some stories, and he was sharing the story of how he came up with a theme for the camp that he was planning the following summer. He said, we were sitting down, my interns and I, and we were discussing all the themes that we had done, all the possibilities, and just nothing seemed to click. Nothing seemed to work. And finally, in desperation, he just kind of threw up his hands and started rubbing his forehead, and he said, I give up. I give up. I don't know. And in that moment, it hit him as he was rubbing his temples. He realized that that would be the theme for his camp. I give up. That when we give up ourselves, that's when the, the time when God is able to take our lives and use them and mold them and shape them into the image of his son. There are so many biblical examples of people giving up themselves to follow the Lord. To, to not do what seemed natural, to not do what, what they wanted to do, but instead to do what God wanted to do. A character by the name of Abram was in a, a familiar land with his family. He was uh, prosperous, and God said, I want you to go to a land that you haven't been to, a people that are foreign to you, and I want you to go there, and I'll bless you. Now, Abram didn't know what, what God held in his future, but he went. He obeyed in faith. Uh, years later, after being childless for their whole life, God promised them a child. God not only promised them a child, but he said the seed, the, 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 your seed will bless the entire world because of your faith and trust in me. Abraham was already an old man at that point. But he trusted. It was another 25 years later before, as Abram was 100 and his wife Sarah was 90, that they would hear the pitter-patter of little feet. It didn't make sense. It was illogical. It was irrational. But they trusted God, and God delivered. And then a few years later, God said to Abraham, Take your only son, whom you love. And take him to that mountain over there and sacrifice him. Now imagine for just a moment. I know some of you in this crowd have lived with infertility. Or have lived the story of infertility. Imagine living through that. Not ever having children of your own. And then finally God blesses you with a child. Your firstborn, your only son. As you hold him in your arms. And you you beheld the promise of God. The very name of your son means laughter because every time you think about it, it's like, (laughs) I can't believe what God did. He did it. And then as that boy grows from an infant into a child, from a child into a young man, God calls you to sacrifice that boy. That boy who you love, who you've trained, who you have great plans for. God asks you to take him up on the mountain. The scriptures tell us that Abraham got up early the next morning and loaded the donkey and took the boy with him. He didn't hesitate. He didn't pause. Immediately, if God called him to give it up, as much as it must have hurt he and his wife, he reasoned that God could do it again, that God could raise him from the dead, 
that God could deliver the boy. In fact, the boy would ask on their journey, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the sacrifice? Remember what Abraham said? God himself will provide the offering. And he was right. Job, the famous, the infamous story, really, of loss and laying things down. Didn't lay things down voluntarily, of course, but he lost everything in a sort of a heavenly contest where Satan said to God, skin for skin, if you take away all of Job's blessings, all of the ways in which you've honored him and given him children and livestock and property and homes and all that, you take all that away, Job will not be faithful to you. And God said, have you considered my servant? So Satan was allowed to take all of that away. And slowly, Job, in a just a, a sort of like the stock market news this week, you know, it's just been really bad every time you check into it, okay? And he lost property, he lost homes, he lost his children. And when he lost all of that, what did he do? He fell to the ground in worship, and he said, The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. The disciples were called to leave the familiarity of their trade, uh, of what they had been brought up in, and what they were going to make a living in. And in particularly the fishermen, as they were standing by the boat with their father, Jesus called them to leave their nets, to become fishers of men. You see, growing with God starts with giving up yourself. And that sounds very simple when you hear everyone else's story. It sounds a little more difficult when it becomes your own story. The little girl's name was Jenny. She was all of five years old with all of the enthusiasm and joy that a five-year-old girl carries. And one day, she and her mother went to the store. And as they went to the store, Jenny was very good and had her, uh, minded her manners and did what her mother asks. And they got to the store rather quickly, except when they came to the cash register. You know they have those aisles of temptation right there, perfect for the children. And right there on the end cap was a foil tin box, colored pink. And inside that pink foil tin box was the most beautiful set of plastic pearls Jenny had ever seen. She begged, she pleaded, oh, mother, please, can I have that pearl bracelet, please? Mother, considering how good she'd been and wanting to bless her daughter in a special way, decided that, yes, she could have the pearls. And so she bought that box of pearls, and Jenny put them on, and she wore them everywhere. She wore them when she played outside. She wore them when she went to school. She wore them when she went to church. She wore them with her friends. She wore them at the dinner table. In fact, she wore them everywhere except for bath time when her mother said, you can't wear those in the bathtub. They will turn your hand green. They were just cheap plastic pearls, but oh, how Jenny loved them. Jenny was going, getting ready for bed. And her daddy came in, and as he often did, he would talk about her day and read a story from the Bible, and they would pray together. And after they prayed, he looked at Jenny's pearls and said, those are pretty nice pearls, Jenny. Can I have them? 
and instantly, reflexively, instinctively, little Jenny with the other hand grabbed the pearls. Oh, oh, Daddy, uh, I'm afraid you can't have my pearls. Uh, you can have Mr. Bear here. Uh, you, you can have him. But please don't ask me for my pearls. I, I do love them dearly. He kissed her on the cheek, said, it's okay. Daddy loves you. He patted her on her head and left. About a week later, the same thing happened. As Jenny was getting ready for bed and her father came in, he read from the Bible. They talked about their day. They prayed together. And then, as he had done the week before, he said, Jenny, I really do like those pearls. I was wondering if I could have them. Now, this time, Jenny had put some thought into it. He said, Dad, I, I, I know you like my pearls, but I tell you what, you can have anything else in my room except for my pearls. He patted her on her, on, on her head, gave her a soft kiss on the cheek, and said, that's okay, honey. Daddy loves you, and left the room. One week later, Daddy walks into Jenny's room. This time, she's not getting ready for bed. She's ready. She's sitting on the bed, cross-legged. As her father walks in, a little five-year-old hand holds out her little pearls. Her lip is quivering. Tears are coming to her eyes. She does not know why in the world her father wants her pearls. But as he comes in and sits beside her on the bed, she opens her hand. Her daddy takes the pearls. And almost instantaneously puts them into his pocket. He pulls out a real pearl necklace. And he puts it around her neck. And he says, honey, your daddy loves you. And he only wants what's best for you. I was just waiting for you to give up what was cheap, what was invaluable, so that I could give you the real thing. It's a touching story. Probably one that maybe you've heard a preacher tell before. But it tells a very valuable lesson. That what we want, we clutch, we cling to so tightly. And what our Father wants is for us to let those things go. So that he can give us things which are far, far better. So let's move from Jenny and start talking about you. What are you clinging to? What is it in your life that you're holding on so tightly to, that you're clutching in your tiny little hands, and God's called you to lay it down. God's called you to give it up. But you can't. There's there's just something within you that won't. And you're not sure why God wants you to give it up and lay it down. Maybe it's that job. Oh, it's a good job. And there's lots of opportunities for advancement and promotion. Keep on going like you're going. You'll get that corner office. You'll get that company car. Maybe they'll make you partners someday. It's a great opportunity. Uh, sure, it, it started out as 40 hours and, and then moved up to 50 hours. And, and now you don't see your family very much. You leave before your children get up and you're home long after they're asleep. You spend more time on the weekends there than you do with them. You haven't been to any basketball games or plays or dramas. 
You're leaving that all to mom. You make the excuse. You, you know you, you, you just want to provide. And you know that God wouldn't want you to lay that down and give it up. But you know he's calling you to. And you just, you just can't imagine. I mean, I mean, you know what the job market's like? I mean, this is a great opportunity. How in the world could I lay it down? Maybe it's sports. Maybe you love sports. You love playing sports and watching sports and, and, and participating in sports. But it sure does take a lot of your time. You haven't been to church in many months. Oh, you catch it online. You, you get the podcast. You get the gist of it. But, but you're not, even when you're there, fully engaged with the body. And you know God's calling you to give it up, but, but you can't. You, you, just, you just need it. You need to be fulfilled. You, ne- you need to go to the next level to win, or maybe to see your child win. Maybe you're living your dreams through them. And God's calling you to lay down the dream. Ah, those pearls are hard to give up sometimes. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your position. Maybe it's your reputation. Perhaps it's relationships. You've got that friendship. You know. You know they're not a good friend. You, you know they're dragging you down. You know they say words they shouldn't say. You, you know they participate in activities that are ungodly. But, but if, you, if you give up that friendship, I mean, your, your reputation goes like this. Your popularity goes like that. And God's calling you. To be brave and to let that friend go. But sometimes it's hard to give up the pearls, isn't it? You see, the point is that none of these things necessarily by themselves are always bad things. In fact, all of them could be good things. But sometimes they clutch themselves around our hearts to a point that we're unable or unwilling to let them go. And they become an idol. And they get in the way of the most important people in our lives and the most important relationship in our lives, the Lord himself. To grow close to to God, you've got to follow Jesus Christ. And if you want to follow Jesus, Jesus' price for following is very high. Whoever wants to follow me must deny himself and take up his cross, Jesus said. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. So you've got to lay down your life for Christ. But but can I I encourage you for just a second? Because from, from our perspective, what I've just told you is from Jenny's perspective, giving up the pearls. What she couldn't see was that her father had something far better. So when you are called to lay something down, be it a job, a dream, a relationship, a hobby, or whatever it is that God calls you to lay down, you need to know that's not a loss. That everything you put into his hands is always going to give you something far, far better. Turn to John chapter 12, verses 24 and following. The verse that we read, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You've got to not just put those things in your hand. You must be willing 
to die to yourself, to lay your very life in his hands. Now, you may say that sure sounds like a sacrifice. Can I tell you that Jesus is not calling you to do what he himself was unwilling to do? No, you look at Luke chapter 22. Jesus in verse 42 said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knew the Father loved you, and yet sin separated you from him. And because it did, he chose the nails. He laid down his life so that you could have life. Oh, it wasn't a loss. Think about it. Did he lose anything in that transaction? Yes, physically he bore some pain and suffering and agony, the likes of which we can't imagine. Spiritually, even worse, separated from the Father. But remember the resurrection that happened. The great, powerful resurrection of Christ and how that changed everything. Even with Jesus, what he laid down paled in comparison to what God would raise up. Does not Jesus change everything that is put into his hands? You put water into Jesus' hands, he'll change it into some of the best wine people had ever tasted. You put some spit and some mud in Jesus' hands, and he'll put it on a blind man's eyes and make him see again. You take five barley loaves and two fishes, like Brady talked about, and you put them in the hands of Jesus, and it will be a feast for 5,000 plus people to eat on, and there will be so many tuna sandwiches that there will not even be, they pick up more than they started with. Do you understand? When you're putting them in your father's hands, when you're putting them in the hands of Christ, he always raises up something far better. And it's more than just about water and spit and mud and loaves of fish. It's about people. Think about how people who were put into Jesus' hands changed An adulterous woman became an ambassador for mercy and compassion. Peter went from a fisherman to fisher of men. Zacchaeus went from greedy to a generous giver. And Saul the persecutor became Paul the preacher. When Paul considered his life, here's what he said in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. He said, after listing all of his accomplishments, a Hebrews of Hebrews, a Pharisee, known, knew the law well, trained under Gamaliel, after all of his reputation that he had to lay down to come to Christ, what did he say? Philippians 3.8. He said, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of of all things, and I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Through the light of his glory and grace. The question is, are you willing to give up who you are for who you can be with Jesus? The story of Jim Elliot is told. 
Jim Elliott knew he wanted to devote his life to Jesus. And he became a missionary and decided with his team to go to Ecuador and uh, preach to and convert the Aqua uh, Indians. The Aqua Indians were a violent tribe. They were known for killing people. And so they spent three years in the jungle working with other tribes and, and making inroads and learning the language. And, and eventually they got to a point they said, we're ready. But what we're going to do is start by going in by airplane and dropping uh, supplies and gifts and materials. So that when they see that plane, they'll associate it with grace. They did that several times and eventually they uh, landed. They were able to make contact. They built relationships with the Indians that no one had ever made contact with before. This is the point where the preacher tells you that they converted the whole tribe to Jesus Christ. Uh, You see, they did not. Through a misunderstanding and communication, the tribe would eventually kill Jim Elliott and the other four people on his team. He would lose his life so that he, in the pursuit of trying to give eternal life, To those Indians. He loved them. He didn't want them to go to hell. And because of his love for them, it cost him his life. Later, when they were going through Jim's things, the few possessions that he had in this world, they found his journal. And in his journal, Jim Elliott wrote these words, words that are in my office, words that I think apply in this topic today. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was only 22 years old when he wrote those words. But he got it. He understood what Jesus called men to do. Now, does this mean you're called to be martyrs? Maybe. But likely not. But you must be willing to lay down your life. Unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it remains just a single seed. But if you want Jesus to transform your life and use your life as a vessel to be poured out, you got to lay it down. you got to put it into his hands. Let me finish by giving you the grace challenge for February. And the grace challenge is to make a visit uh, to a widow, a widower, someone in the hospital, someone who's sick. Uh, Go visit someone and give them your joy and your grace uh, if you don't know, if you're struggling with who to visit, you've looked in the bulletin, the handout. Uh, I have a list of widows and widowers here at Northside, and I'll be glad to help you. This is a great project for families and a great project for prayer pals as well. My question for you as we finish today is this. Why are you holding on so tightly? When are you going to lay down your life to Christ, to put it in his hands Oh, is it risky? Sure. Is there a possibility of loss? Maybe. But it is nothing. It is nothing compared to what you will gain. If you're ready to lay down your life this morning for the first time in obedience to the gospel, to repent and to put on Christ in baptism, we want to help you do that. Or if you're in Christ, but you just have been holding on to some things that you need to let go of. Uh, We'd like to help you let go of those things. We'll pray with you and for you. Whatever need you might have, please come. Meet me at the front as together we stand and sing.